Hi, I'm Molly Moran, and this is the Table Wine Podcast. With me, as always, is my esteemed co-host, Andy Stoiber. Hi, Andy. Hello. Hi, Molly. How's it going? I'm doing good. It is exciting because yesterday, I'm just jumping right in. Yesterday, (laughs) we released the first episode, and now the pressure is on to keep things sizzling. (laughs) Sizzling? I didn't know we were sizzling. Pretty hot stuff happening here. It feels weird because we've done the first few in a vacuum, just you and me. And now the whole world. I know. And now people can hear us. So here we go. Happy belated birthday. Oh, thank you. How was your day? Birthdays are funny for me, but it was good. On Monday, came to class the day after my birthday and a new classmate said happy belated birthday. And I was shocked. I was like, how do you know it was my birthday? I forgot that I had told her my birthday was coming up. And it was really sweet to hear someone you kind of just know be like, happy birthday. And remembered it. And I was like, oh. Also another Libra. And her birthday is today, technically. But I think there's a Libra vibe. What Andy's being too polite to tell everybody is that he and I had a work call on his birthday. (laughs) And I forgot that it was his birthday. And so we talked about work. And then I hung up the phone. And then three hours later, halfway through my meditation, I was like, oh, my God. (laughs) Oh half of your meditation. Yeah, because I, I got a booster shot on Saturday late afternoon. And so whew, for like 36 hours, I was just kind of living in a drug haze. And it was only when I was meditating did my mind clear enough for a moment to realize like, today is Sunday, October 10th. That means it's Andy's birthday. <laughs> Go wish your good friend a happy birthday. So I'm sorry that I took me a little while there, buddy. Oh, it's okay. I always wanted to say yep. listening is weird. I like your voice. I never liked my voice. It's been an interesting process hearing my voice and being comfortable with it or having to be comfortable with it. So if you want to like get comfortable with your voice, make a podcast <laughs> and you just have to. I don't That's fine. You just have to hear yourself. Self-esteem booster. Over and over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. I think the weirdest part for me from listening to it is being able to hear you and me, like, I don't know, stepping outside of us and getting to listen to it. A friend texted me something about our rapport. And I said, yeah, I think Andy and I have to remember to finish our sentences because we're so often we just like one of us will start a sentence and then we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then that's the end of that conversation. Yes, it's true. Some of our segments in the first episode, especially, it's just kind of like it just melts into the next thing. Oh, we need to be more precise. Yeah. Some people who are giving me feedback end. was like, you, you don't really transition so well. And I was like, well, that's because that's how we talk. So yeah, we're learning. Yeah. I think it works. We put some, yeah, we'll work on mm-hmm. it. Maybe. It's time now for our aperitif, a little bit of fun knowledge to wet your palate. On Monday, October 11th, we celebrated National Coming Out Day. It was also Indigenous Peoples Day, and I do not want to overlook that in any way, but I wanted to highlight Coming Out Day because it's a way to talk about. LGBTQ plus wine producers and how there just aren't that many of them, or at least the wine world doesn't talk about it. It's challenging to find wineries that have women winemakers or are owned by women or have women in places of power. The same is said for BIPOC producers. And these are both things that I've been focusing on in the shop more. But LGBTQ plus producers, I'd say, are even more limited. And I was recently tasting wines with the importer, Mary Taylor, and Mary pointed out to me that a couple of the wines that we carry at the shop from a couple of different French producers are LGBTQ plus producers. And that's Olivier Gessler, 
and Jean-Marc Bartez. And I just wanted to mention those names. I'm going to be on the lookout for even more LGBTQ plus producers. And that if it's something that's important to you to see more voices represented in any walk of life, whether it's wine or it's the sweaters that you buy on Etsy or the beauty products you buy at Target, you can support people who aren't normally at the table. So I guess this is less knowledge and more call to action, (laughs) but that's me. So I hope you'll join me on this trip of supporting the people that we want to see more of. Thanks. And now it is time to pop the cork with Molly and Andy. On the pop the cork segment, we like to drink some wine and talk about it. We usually tie it into the theme of that week's show. So this week we will be talking about the movie Wine Country. But first, we need to celebrate Andy's birthday. So we're just... Uh, And your birthday. And my birthday, sure. We're doing a belated Libra celebration. So we are drinking Special from Lucchetti. They are in the Lamarque region of Italy, so eastern central Italy. And this is a sparkling rosé. The grape is Lacrima. This is an all-time favorite, I will say. And you brought it back because... Because I went there. You went to Italy and you're essentially an importer. (laughs) Yeah, that's totally how that works. (laughs) I am not an importer. I wanted to pour this because I knew that we both loved it. And it's called Special or Special. When I was there, I was in La Marque in 2019. Lucchetti just was so great. Their vineyards are beautiful. They were so kind. We got to see Mario teaching the two generations below him how to make wine on the random weekday that we were there, which was really cool. And then they have a beautiful tasting room and they had charcuterie. And I mean, it was just, it was such a lovely visit. They start to pour it and I'm expecting them to say special or something. And then this (laughs) Italian woman who spoke beautiful English, but she's like pouring the wine, speaking English with an Italian accent. And then she just is like, and this is the special. (laughs) Mm. Devoid of any accent. And I was like, oh, it's not special. She's like, isn't that your word? Your word is special, right? And I was like, well, yeah, that's our word. But she's like, okay, that's the name of the wine. So it's actually special. I thought you were saying like you were expecting a whole like song and dance around this wine being poured. Like a gondola singer. Oh, a violinist <laughs> comes the, to the table. <laughs> yes. Special. It's an on-the-nose name of a wine, the special. But it is special. It's so special. It makes every day special. And it's affordable. I mean, I think it's affordable. This has been a sweet spot wine because it's like $16. Something right? like that. It's elevated. It's special. And it's a nice fuller-bodied, bubbly, right? I agree. <laughs> but please agree, please. <laughs> <laughs> Validate me. I like that this is the <laughs> the thrust of today's podcast is Andy gets used to his own voice and Molly has to validate his opinions on wine. It's creamy and kind of strawberry, but kind of cranberry. There's some tart fruit to it. It's not Moscato. I think a lot of people have this idea of like all sparkling wine is either Moscato or Veuve Clicquot. And those are your two options, right? Yeah, no, exactly. Or, I mean, Corbel, right? Mm. Or Andre. Those mm. are the California big producers. I have a good friend, Paul, and I know he listens. I'm calling him out. All he drinks, I feel like, is champagne and Andre or Corbel. And I'm like, there's so much middle ground. Yeah. You don't need to spend either $6 or $60. There's so much in between that's interesting in the bubbly world. And I think that's a common misconception is like, you're either getting, you know, affordable bubbles or you're getting really expensive bubbles. 
Yeah, the middle ground is tricky, though. I will say, like, there's not a ton in between the $25 to $50 range. And one of the things I like about this wine, or just exploring bubbly in general, is this is the sparkling version of a really obscure red grape. So, Mm. you know, it's not like you, oh, well, I've had dozens of lacrimos in my lifetime, so whatever. It's kind of a cool experience to get to learn stuff. We do a sparkling wine club at the store. Shameless plug here, but we do <laughs> we do a bubbly club and I try to find really cool things. So for October, it's sparkling Gruner Veltliner. And then for November, it's going to be a sparkling soft blanc from South Africa. There's so many cool, interesting bubbles. And if you open that up to pet gnats, mm. the world's your oyster. And if you don't know what we're talking about, we'll talk about pet gnats some other time, right? If you can widen your scope on just drinking some $15 bubbly that you would normally not mm-hmm. think of, I think it's worth it. Yeah. I feel like the $10 stuff is great a lot of the time, 10 to 12, but it gets fun and interesting in that 15 to it $20 does. It range. It's more fun in the, the teens and 20s. I'm glad you picked it because I think it's something I recommended to most folks and I just love it. Yeah. I'm glad. Good. Thank you. It was just yeah. a treat. It, that's really what it yeah. was. It was just a treat for us. Yeah. Unless you are somebody who has an aversion to all things carbonated, I really recommend you drink more sparkling wine. I think champagne and bubbly is going to, I mean, we... The whole Clarb run and like sparkling water craze that's finally hitting America that I think the Europeans have been on forever. And, you know, White Claw, the carbonated. We love seltzers. We love bubbles. I think. It's true. We do love bubbles. I've seen it. I thought the increase in sparkling wine sales that I've noted over the last like year or so was a political one. It seemed like it started around this time last year. And that then it... Why? <laughs> what happened this time last year, Molly? What happened in November of 2020? We all exhaled and we all got a lot of wine. But then it's kind of stayed true all summer long. I think you're right, Andy. I think people just like bubbly things. Yeah, they're fun. So, great. Great. And now it is time for Napa Cab. It is time for Napa Cab. Okay, so this ties in a little more directly with our movie. Mm-hmm. Which is why I picked it. Yeah, I figured. <laughs> you know what's aggressive job. about it, man? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Of course, you picked Napa Cab to go with the movie. Oh, I wanted Grenache. I'm sorry. I picked. No, I'm excited. I picked. Uh, the movie, which wine country, one of the people pouring wine at a vineyard calls it the king of wine or king of Napa wine. Yeah. And then it's like Chardonnay is the queen. And I was like, I guess that's a way of thinking about. Well, I figured we had done an episode about Napa versus France and we talked about mm-hmm. Chardonnay. So I didn't really feel like we could do a yet another time talking about Napa no. without talking about Napa Cab. So we are drinking the Mathiasin Village Cabernet Sauvignon from Napa. Mathiasin is a relatively small producer, particularly by Napa standards. I do think that it sets them apart from the more corporate style of wineries in Napa. So that's why I have it on the shelf at the shop and why we're drinking it today. I was tasting over the weekend and, and it became clear that the organizer was like, well, Andy, he's an expert on wine. What are the things you're getting out of these wines? I'm like, don't do this to me. I don't, you know, everyone, let's play along all together. It's so hard. Yeah. Especially blind. But once you get one thing and kind of associate. Okay. You do such a beautiful job when you say that you... Think of an image when you taste a wine rather than your words. So what's your visual imagery associated with this wine? Give me, it's absurd. I need a moment. Because I really thought of the word bouncy. 
this is more restrained than I expected for mm-hmm. a Napa Cab. Mm-hmm. Though I feel like I'm biased by this, the wine label on this bottle is this beautiful illustration of a farm. Yeah. And so I feel biased by that, where there is this vibe of just standing in a field, which I said last week, where okay. maybe I'm just in the fields right now. All right. Uh, I'll tell you what I think. Mm-hmm. My visual thing, which is not usually the way that I describe wine, but drinking wine with you, I like to do it. I feel like I'm at a farmer's market. Oh. I feel like there are berries, but also some root vegetables. I feel mm. like somebody is drinking a mocha somewhere near me. It's like, I'm not drinking the mocha. Like, it's not coffee in my mouth, but like, I just walked by the coffee cart and I smell a little bit of coffee. I smell coffee in someone else's <laughs> mouth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's... Um, <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> that's nice. That's very nice. I like. Yeah, that. I think that's um, that's my vibe on this wine. There are a lot of different, like, subtle, okay, fruit Let, and savory things happening. I'm just gonna take this in a direction. Do it. Okay. Now I'm thinking. I'm in Iceland. One of those colorful like villages. I've never been to Iceland. Mm-hmm. Um, just like colorful, happy day, strolling along the street, looking at Icelandic people. Drinking this wine. That just sounds so nice. I'm getting playfulness out of this wine in a really nice way. That would be really fun to drink on a stroll in a beautiful landscape with people around. I love it. People on bikes, maybe a sweater. Great. Like nautical vibes. I'm feeling more Amsterdam as you're describing this, but yeah, that's probably, you know, that's okay. You say Iceland and I immediately think of Bjork. And so (laughs) then I think like not normal. This is nice. I don't drink a ton of Napa Cab. It is not too heavy. I feel like sometimes, and maybe this is a bias against other cabs that aren't from Napa, that then I associate with Napa as like a more syrupy, like really heavy, big around everything vibe. Oaky or just really fruity. And this has a nice restraint to it. I like the word buoyant, where it doesn't feel heavy in my mouth at all. I could drink a lot of it. Yeah, their intention with this, why they called it village, it's supposed to be your kind of everyday drinking wine. It is lower in alcohol than Mm -hmm. perhaps one might expect. And it definitely has a lot of acidity, Mm -hmm. which doesn't always come through. Mathiasen made a really lovely, pretty darn affordable Napa cab that I would want to drink with lots of different foods. And that makes me happy. I agree. Okay, how much is this? I'm going to ask. It is on the shelf at everyone's favorite Atwood wine shop for $36. Okay. Yeah. That's, this is. For uh, Napa Appalachian, so for a wine to actually say Napa Valley on it and to be Cabernet Sauvignon, the fact that it's under 50 is kind of remarkable. And then the fact that it's a smaller producer doing that because some bigger wineries are able to do that because they have wines that are, let's say, $200-ish dollars. And so then they might have an entry-level cab. And you often get short shrift with those wines you're buying the entry mm-hmm. level and you can kind of taste it i don't feel like this feels lesser than i feel like this is just delicious little tangent at this wine tasting some folks were from south korea mm. one of the things we drank was textbook cab oh yeah and again another more restrained cab that i think are on the shelves or were it was on the shelf it at was table on wine. the sh- shelf at table wine for uh, quite a while i mean i think it's an aptly named wine mm-hmm. i've used it in class before because it's so prototypical it's yeah, it's great. And the someone from South Korea said that it's really popular in South Korea. Yeah. I just like, forget how global wine is that like now Napa, especially like some of these big California places are globally celebrated and sought after. If people across the globe are willing to 
pay for these things. You realize, oh yeah, it's going to be more expensive. So before we move on, let's just go over what we tasted. We tasted sparkling rosé from Italy because Andy and I believe that bubbles make everything better. And we tasted a Cabernet Sauvignon from Napa Valley. One, because it ties into the movie that we're going to talk about shortly. Two, because it's just delicious. And three, because we wanted to feature something that falls into the category of a more widely known varietal and place, but from a producer that maybe is a little off the beaten path. And that's kind of our jam. So, so well said. Thanks, buddy. Oh, last thing I want to say. Yes. I just think there might be some thinking out there that all bubbly from Italy is Prosecco. No, all bubbly from Italy is not Prosecco. Great. And now it's time to decant. In wine terms, decanting is the process of pouring wine from one vessel to another to let it breathe and give it some room, let it shine a bit. And so this is the segment of the show where we dive into our topic in a bit more depth and give it some room. So today we're talking about the Netflix movie Wine Country. Amy Poehler movie. It's just a platform for great female comedians. Well, the two women. Okay, so um, it's Amy Poehler, Tina Fey, Anna Gasteyer. Maya Rudolph, Rachel Dratch. And then there are two other women who I did not recognize. Paula Pell is in Girls 5 Eva, which is a very funny new Tina Fey show. So I was like, you must be been around for a while. And Emily Spivey. So I was looking up Paula and Emily because they were the two that I didn't recognize. And they were writers on SNL. Oh, And so I think they must have all overlapped at SNL at a certain time, perhaps, or at least know each other from that world. So it's all of those women. Give the people a synopsis, Andy. What happens in this movie? It is about a gathering of old friends who all used to work at a pizza parlor and you assume they're 20s. And Rachel Dratch's character is turning 50. And so it is a gathering of this old group of friends in wine country. They're in Napa and there's a beautiful home that Tina Fey owns um, and rents out a la Airbnb type thing. Amy Poehler plays the... Type A organizer, planner, has an itinerary down to the minute of what is happening. And as things go on, tensions rise. There's clearly issues that each character has been dealing with, hiding from their, you know, old friends. And it sort of unravels from there. Like, as a very big wink and a nod at the beginning. Like, oh, great, a group of women all getting back together with a ton of wine. Like, this is going to go well. And obviously, emotions run hot. <laughs> and it turns into a murder mystery. No, it is. P.S. I would have much preferred a murder mystery. <laughs> would have been more interesting. But they do show off some beautiful landscapes of Napa. At least the first winery that they visit is a real winery. It's Artessa Winery. That's a real place. And it's okay. very modern and very fancy. It's like, oh, what famous landscape architect made this reflection pool and fountain Yeah, looking at the top of this hill? Yeah. I think this movie, it's not about wine in the sense that I think we've been talking about wine, but it is about the culture around wine. You had said to text, it's essentially like, oh shit, what are we going to talk about? But I think there's actually a lot here that we can mine. Okay, man, let's mine, but you have to leave. (laughs) It's making a statement that wine is a cultural thing that this is grounded in about a bunch of women going to drink a bunch of wine and they do it 
explicitly saying they don't really care about what the wine is. Like they're at these tastings. The person pouring the wine is trying to talk to them about what it is. And the, the women are like, mm, shut up, pretty much. Like, I don't care. Just give me, pour it and I want to drink it. Which I think is valid. And I bet how a lot of people who do wine tours and visit wineries might actually feel. They're like, okay, I do kind of just want to drink. So there's a scene where they are visiting Artessa Winery and there's a person pouring them some wine. He's the person who says, you know, Napa, Cabernet is king and Chardonnay is the queen or whatever he says. And one of the characters says, oh, I don't want to hear about the wine or like, I don't want to learn anything about the wine. And she's very kind of a gruff. And he says, well, then you could just go to a wine store. And they turn and walk away. But that was the only laugh I (laughs) uttered for that hour and 45 minutes. My partner laughed when they fell down a hill. There's a whole like rolling down a hill scene. Uh Really? He laughed. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> Axel and I can't watch movies together. He just came in and I was watching it. I think, you know, I mean, it's Amy Poehler, like, rolling down. It's, co- oh, come on. I mean, there's a little, wow, okay. Well, there you go. Molly doesn't like some good physical humor, some slapstick I like actual comedy. humor. Because you are famous for being funny doesn't mean every time you're on screen, you are funny. As someone who at my wine shop has poured many tastings, when a person comes in, and tells me that they have no interest in hearing anything about the wine and that they just want the wine, I will say it is one of the hardest moments of my job. Mm. And so I really felt for that guy. And there's another scene where they go to an organic winery and the woman is trying to teach them about organic practices. And, you Mm. know, they take it into this weird direction where they're not allowed to walk into the vineyards. I've visited organic wineries before and you're allowed to walk in the vineyards. But... I really had such a problem. I thought, well, then why are you here? Why are you going Mm -hmm. to the winery? Just go to the wine store and get some bottles of wine. You want to sit outside at a beautiful place and get drunk. Yeah. So that's a totally acceptable thing. You're a grown-ass adult. You can do whatever you want. I guess I just don't really understand why you went all the way to Napa Valley to do it. Agreed. I think, again, it says a lot about access to wine in a way where if you're of a certain class and like you, this is what you drink. If you're going to go get drunk with your friends at a reunion, you're going to do it in style. Even though you don't really care about the wine, you know you're surrounded by some of the best wine in the country and whatever you drink will be good, but you don't really have to care about it. I think that's fair. I think the thing that's coming up throughout these movies that I did not plan on is that they are movies about my job. And so, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like in a way that they're not about other people's jobs. Like other people are able to watch Wine Country and just be like, yeah, man, getting trash with my friends is fun and whatever. And like, oh, the one who always sings karaoke is up there singing again and whatever. Like I can acknowledge that I take it too seriously. Mm-hmm. But boy, it was hard for me. It's really hard for me. I had somebody this year tell me that they didn't care what they drank at their wedding. They didn't care. Uh, and they looked at me mm-hmm. like, there was something kind of wrong with me for asking them if they had an opinion of what they drank. And I was like, I'm not asking you if it needs to come from south-facing vineyards. or Like, I'm (laughs) I'm asking, do you want a sweeter white wine or do you like rosé? I'm just trying to make sure that on your own wedding day you drink something you like. And you're looking at me like, how could you even bother asking me that question? But it's all germane to the conversation, right? Where that's how people feel. I mean, how many weddings usually have mediocre wine? Which was fun working at the shop and you see people who do care about what wine is at their wedding. The wine, the Mathiasin. I would love to go to this wedding. Now that you say that, the Mathiasin cab that we drank earlier, 
there was a couple who got married this year and they got engaged in Napa. And so they said to me, we want Napa wine on the table. And that was their red on the that's table. Amazing. And I was like, oh, I'd love to go to that wedding. Yeah. <laughs> like, I was like, right? that'd be so much fun. Yeah. I, oh, they picked, agree. And- they picked stellar wines. If you're listening, you know who you are. You had great <laughs> wines at your wedding. So one thing that I went into this movie expecting to talk about was wh- the wine mom trope. Mm-hmm. And what was so interesting to me about this movie, because I am a mom, is that there's only one mom in this crew, oh, which yeah. I find really unrealistic. There are like six friends or something, six or seven friends in this friend group. They all seemingly are well off. I mean, they can all at least get themselves to Napa, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. only one of them has children. I was like, really? Is that true of like any middle class to upper middle class woman friend group? I don't know that many. That's a good point. I wonder the actors themselves, how many of them have kids like Tina Fey and Amy Poehler do. I wonder how much it reflects. Does Naya Rudolph have kids? Like yeah. Rachel Dratt? Like they all have kids? Yeah, Maya Rudolph's married to Paul Tom's Angel. What? Oh, man. What? <laughs> I didn't. Oh, my. What? I know. Get over that. I just blew Annie's mind. I know. It's a true story. Oh my God. Maya. Oh, she's 49. Wow. Maya. What? I'm blown away. I know. Maya and PTA. Isn't that amazing? She's just ascending to holiness. Yes. And yes, they have four children. Everything she does. They have four kids. I'm sure that's a choice they wanted where it's like, let's not make this about moms. Let's make this about women and the struggles we have outside of children. I agree with you. I just think there's so much ripe fodder for conversation. The friends who don't have kids versus the friends who do have kids. Like, I just think that there's more there. And instead, they just went with that choice. The thing that I did know, because I've seen this movie twice now, the first time I saw it, I didn't know who Brene Brown was. (gasps) And now I have known because of you and other people have talked about Brene Brown. And so, like, you can tell how much this movie is supposed to be about, I think, Women of a certain age and the cultural phenomenon, circa 2019 and today, the Brene Brown phenomena. That Yeah, and as somebody who's not quite their age, I'm in my <laughs> early that, 40s, yes. I'm not turning 50, but, but it's not that far away. And I have plenty of friends in their later 40s. This is not, it's not like you. I can <laughs> see this. This is, a, this is a destination not too far down the road, right? <laughs> There's a lot that I think could have been done with this subject matter. I don't think it had to be a throwaway. And to me, it felt like the last skit on an episode of SNL where it goes on too long. Yeah, It was just like, you guys just wanted a reason to get together and be friends. And that's great for you all. And I realized that we didn't have to review this movie. We, We didn't have to talk about it. But one of the reasons I think we wanted to talk about it was to talk about how regular people consume and think about wine. Wine might be an everyday part of their life, but it's not necessarily a mindful experience. Not at all. It's like like the opposite, right? This is like the, yeah, those memes of getting classy drunk. I feel like there's lots of like, I drink a lot of wine and that's how. Yeah. I'm not an alcoholic. I just drink a lot of wine, which is a real thing. Yeah, (laughs) it is. It is. I think I'm struggling because I am so adamant in my personal life, but also my professional life to not go after that. I don't post about mommy juice. Mommy juice sounds so euphemistic. It is just, it gives me, I get a little chill. It's a creepy sounding term. Thank you for raising it to my attention. You're welcome. (laughs) 
Mommy juice. Welcome oh. to my life. <laughs> Please let us know if you drink mommy juice. Oh, you know, there were some quotes, though, that I wrote down that I thought were kind of interesting. So there's one that they're talking about, like, how much wine's going to get drunk at dinner on their first night all together. Mm. This is Tina Fey. This is actually the one thing that I thought mm. kind of landed of hers. Like, whatever gets said is probably what the person has always felt. And the alcohol mm-hmm. just let it out. I'm totally mm-hmm. that drunk. I am 100 percent. I am pretty reserved, I guess what I would say. I'm not super touchy-feely in my sober life. But then if I have a few drinks in me, then I feel the need to like really tell you how I've always felt. This movie definitely uses wine as the device that it is going to change reality in a way to make it more interesting for the drama to unfold. Which even they have this, oh, we could take MDMA. One of the characters brings that up. And it's there's this intentional, no, that's not what this is about. Yeah. Like that is a key part of why this, like it's called wine country because it's like, oh, old friends coming together with a bunch of wine. What will be said? What will unfold? Yeah, I guess I just Uh, didn't feel like it was like that much. I didn't feel like anybody was actually being vulnerable. I didn't feel like anybody was actually breaking down barriers or saying harsh shit. I felt like everything just stayed in the shallow end at all times. Yeah, it's true. Okay, I think a favorite part of this was now that I've watched The Nanny recently on Hulu, it's out streaming. Oh my God. There is this character who is played by Maya Erskine, who does Pen15. She's amazing. And I do like her. And I think she's great in this. Yeah, I like her a lot. She's this artist that Paula Pell's character has this crush on. And she invites them to come to her art showing. And all of her art is of Fran Drescher and describes it as this funny takedown of capitalism. Like, it is, I don't know. I thought that was a great moment where, again, it's like, I don't think it was even... As funny as it could have been because the context of this movie is just kind of, uh. but I was like, this is good. Like this, it's so doing weird of art about Fran Drescher is kind of amazing. It's so weird. And it's exactly the kind of humor where I don't laugh, but I watch something like that. And I think that's amusing. That's interesting. I'm not laughing out loud, but I can honor yeah. the humor there. And in that scene, this is really what I wanted to get to, Andy. <laughs> good, in good. that scene, the women... Our main characters, who are very solidly of my generation, of Generation X, start to kind of comment to the artist and then the people at the show who seemingly are, are we going to say young millennials? Are we going to say Gen Zs? Millennials. They're millennials. Okay. They start to kind of talk to each other and it feels like it's about to be combative, but the millennials at every turn don't do kind of the expected thing or they don't say the expected Mm. Uh, retort instead they're kind and open-hearted and one of the main characters is like what is it with you people like you are just born with so much confidence you know like (laughs) and all I kept thinking is I was like I oh my god I'm on that side and Andy's on that side and (laughs) we're looking at pictures of Fran Drescher and we just like don't agree about them (laughs) like all I thought (laughs) that's funny that is good I mean I did love the Fran Drescher piece I really did the generational divide, we get along so well, right? I guess there are things that this podcast is about millennials versus Gen X. I wanted to mention from the Gen X standpoint that right before the pandemic in February of 2020, I read this book called Why We Can't Sleep by Ava Calhoun. And it is a book about the pressures on Gen X women who are just kind of not thought about. Gen X basically cannot sleep. We have horrible problems because we're in charge of everything and we get no praise or whatever. 
Mm. And I read that in February of 2020. And then lockdown happened. And I have heard from a lot of friends, particularly straight friends, who are just like, oh, my God. It's apparently it's all my responsibility. The kid getting to school, uh. the kid like locking into school, taking care of their homework, get the groceries, the food, all the stuff. Like apparently that's my issue and he has to go work. Uh. And right. I know. Yeah. I know. And I just when I was watching this movie, just thinking about that group of Gen X women, I was like, God, I wonder what the lockdown did to them. Ooh. You know? Yeah. That's all. They'll they may have found themselves drinking a lot of wine. new careers because they were just this was this was their turning point. This movie, they were born anew at the end. Maybe. Right. Or maybe they just all took uh, Molly and had a good time. Yeah. It does look, I guess, let's just say it. I think part of this movie that's hard is that it is created and made by a group of very successful comedians. And it felt a little detached from reality in a way that I think hurts its appeal. Like, it's fun, but... They go to this restaurant and they're there for seemingly like five hours drinking and eating. And I'm like, oh, my God, this meal would have cost thousands of dollars. <laughs> this could have been a tension of like, who is going to pay for this when there's clearly differences in how much people make. Obviously, like Amy Poehler, it doesn't have a job that comes out. And, but they don't really go anywhere with that. They don't talk about how different it would be for people of different like incomes. Um, I do think it is what made this movie less yeah. great. From a wine perspective, this doesn't qualify as a wine movie, right? It has wine in the title, and it takes place in a place that makes wine. And there's a little bit of background of wine. But yeah, it, it's a bit it of almost, a stretch for us yeah. to be including it. But it does cast Napa as a type of Vegas, in a sense. Where oh, it's like, sure. ooh, this is where you meet with all your friends, and you just drink a ton of wine. And what happens in that buzz stays in that buzz because everyone's so drunk on wine the whole time. Yeah, it's really, it's not a wine movie. I'm still just torn because it's called Wine Country. So it's like, I wonder how many people watched this. And maybe you're supposed to watch it while drinking a lot of wine and then it's more fun. Maybe, but it, I mean, it feels like it should have been called Girls Weekend. Yeah, that, there's Girls Trip. Maybe they didn't like it. Right, that, it feels like it's super, super far removed from. Yeah, so... Maybe this movie was too self-aware yeah. and concerned about what it would look like and trying to portray these women in a certain light without getting, like, too crazy. Yeah. Which I just want to see crazy a little bit. Like, give me more. Yeah, I agree. I'm doubling down on, I think it's a great background movie for the holiday seasons when you're just, like, cooking or rapping or, I don't know, sad. Maybe this <laughs> is where the, the gener thing to put generational on. divide comes. Millennials, you, sh you should watch it. And Gen X. <laughs> no, the first time I watched it, I was like, oh, no. But this time I had it on and I was like, oh, this it's not the worst thing out there. Okay. Because the actors are all, you know, Maya Rudolph their... is a genius. Yeah. They're all wonderful. I grew up on SNL. I love SNL. And so if you grew up with these people, it's I just think it's fun to see them anytime. Even though they're not the top of their game in this, but I still like them. So that was our discussion about wine country. And now we will be moving on to our nightcap. A nightcap is the final drink of the night, the parting glass, as the Irish say. So it's one last drink before you go. So it's one last chat before we go, I guess. So Andy, what's our question this week? All right. So I saw that you posted on Instagram that you're reading Beautiful World, Where Are You? Right? By Sally Rooney. Mm -hmm. That's the name of the mm -hmm. thing. 
I'm also reading it. I start. I mean, I started it. Like I got it when it came out, and so I tore through the first half, and then I got busy. But I would love to hear about your thoughts on it. I've also read Sally Rooney's other books. I particularly have enjoyed this one. I think it's her best. I don't know if you all know about the hubbub of the Sally Rooney whew, publicity machine, but it was something fierce. So leading up to the publication of this book, I was like, holy crap, how good could this book possibly be? Like, my Lord. Mm. And then I started to read it. And I think that she might be our Hemingway. Like, I think she just uses such clear prose. It seems like it's simple. Mm -hmm. I just love it. The first two books, which I mean, I liked and every time I read one those, I was like, man, I could write this. Like, it does, it looks easy. Like, she makes it look so easy. And it was almost frustrating because it felt so much a reflection of normal life. Like, this is something. But who can do that? that? Is... Like, that's what's so masterful. Is yeah. the rest of us, when we go to write real life, write shit? Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. Because it, it just feels like, well, this is life. Like, I could write about my life this way. Why am I not a successful global bestseller? But this book, I think for me, I really enjoy because it essentially she's taking on some of the biggest ideas and issues today from romance to climate change to celebrity. I mean, author celebrity. Oh, yeah. Author celebrity is like, yeah, the whole whole thing. And she uses this format of email exchanges that allow it to just be this dialogue of here's a long thought about this topic. And then the friend responds and they're like some, the way that she articulates these ideas because it's just an email form or it's just really an essay are just so beautifully put. And I've, and this time I'm like, Oh, like, yeah, thank you for putting it this way. I wish I could have written it this way. You're articulating all of these issues that we're dealing with in such a beautiful way. Um, and you're putting it in such beautiful, plain language and questioning things the way I, I've always wanted to say. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I want to recommend the book. Yeah. I still need to finish the book. I was 50 pages from the end and I got really frustrated with one of the characters. And I was like, you're going to mess this up. I can tell you're going to mess it up. And then I won't give away anything about the ending. But I felt OK when I finished last night. OK, well, great. I'm glad we got to discuss that book. So that's it for this week. As always, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Andy. Thanks, Molly. This is such a joy. Thank you for listening, everybody. Drink some wine. Goodbye. The Table Wine Podcast is brought to you by me, Andy Stoiber, and Molly Moran. And our music is from Blue Dot Sessions. Special thanks to Craig Ely of Fieldnoise.com for his production consultation. If you're enjoying what we're doing here, please review us wherever you listen. Liking, subscribing, and sharing wouldn't hurt, too. Thanks for listening. Hope you tune in again soon.